to Secrets of a Soap Opera Diva podcast. Oh my goodness, I am so glad you have come back to listen to more soapalicious, bubblicious gossip behind the scenes secrets. Hey, listen, did you know that Procter and Gamble, yes, all that soap, all that detergent, washing out all the dirty laundry. Did you know that Procter & Gamble produced 17 soap operas? Yes, 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 yes. So listen, I have such a great opportunity today. Let me just tell you all about it. We have a fabulous actor here. You know him and you love him. Oh gosh, talk about sexy and too many other things. I want you to welcome my dear, dear friend, Adam Lazar White, just sex symbol galore, leading man, played Nathan Hastings on The Young and the Restless, married to Drew's sister, Olivia. Welcome, Adam Lazar White. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here with you, Ricky. Victoria Rowles. <laughs> These are all queens. <laughs> You're too kind. Adam, there's so much going on between COVID-19. First, let me ask you, how are you doing? How is your family doing with COVID-19 as well as the peaceful protests? Tell us, how are you and yours doing? Well, I'm very lucky. Um, we are doing, we are doing fine. Um, I grew up in New York City. My, my parents are still both alive in their 70s and living still where I grew up on 96th Street. Um, and they are healthy and they're fine. Um, my grandmother is 96. And in my dad's mother who grew up in North Carolina, um, she's in a home and she is healthy and she is fine. My brother lives in Harlem and he runs an organization for youth and he's out there feeding hungry people every day. Wow. Uh, and uh, he's, a, he's what they call a first responder. Mm -hmm. And he is, he is fine and healthy. Uh, my wife and daughter here in Los Angeles, we are very lucky. I, I say to them both every day that the way that we live here in Los Angeles with our, our, even if you live modestly in Los Angeles, very often you have a yard, you have an outdoor place to be that's private. Um, you have, a kind of space in a, in a, even a quote, small house that you would never have in an apartment in New York, let alone uh, an apartment that is, let's say a more working class or right. uh, more economically challenged apartment. Um, and so we're very lucky. We have space to ourselves. We have, we can walk on the streets into the parks mm -hmm. without worrying about social distancing. My brother tells me he walks out of his apartment on 129th street around the corner from red rooster. Um, right. You know, I mean, within 20 feet, he's like 16 people invaded his social distancing. I know that's right in New York, in any of these urban cities. But thank God you all have your health and your your grandmother, did you say, is 96? Yeah, she's 96. My God, what a blessing. Right, Adam? Yes. Yes, you're right. And I don't want to get too deep. Yes, yeah. you're right, but we have we got a lot of stuff going on with COVID, primarily peaceful protests. I feel I feel strangely positive. I'm inspired by I'm the inspired. global the globalization of 
us all coming together, all walks of life, not unlike what we do in Zohar. It is a global I, genre. It is a kaleidoscope of humanity. And that's something we haven't seen so much before. My father and my mother, who were on the front lines of the civil rights movement, you know, people think of the big march on Washington with Martin Luther King, but mm-hmm. most of those protests for civil rights were primarily black. And all, going back to all the deaths that, you know, you had the Freedom Riders and you had some very brave, oh. you know, white people who were fighting with the That's black right. people in the South. But, but the numbers of the demonstrators that is diverse this yeah. time, it's, not just it, white people, Asian people, Latin people. No, look at how Hong Kong has, has and, and, and even in Korea, how uh, in South Korea they've aligned themselves with Black Lives Matter. You know, it's like, I want to just remind everybody out there, when we're talking about Secrets of a Soap Opera Diva and the behind the scenes of the bubbles and kisses, we want to, un- we want to help you also uh, understand that we are very supportive of millions of fans out there who watch soap opera but are also protesting. We understand that soap opera is a diversion from the day in and the day out of hard life. A lot of people tune into soap opera because it is aspirational, because you can relax and watch it and don't have to think about what's going on outside your house. So we are sensitive to that. Adam and I are proud that we've been able to bring, you know, thousands of performances to you and that it gave you some joy, some relaxation. And in this particular podcast, we want to offer that to you as well. Let's go, Adam. What was it like being a sex symbol on daytime drama, Young and the Restless? <laughs> well, I mean, you're very kind. Sex symbol is a is a okay. Uh, it was fun. It was fun, girl. I mean, what what's not fun about it? My wife was played by Miss Toronto. My mistress was played by Miss Puerto Rico. It wasn't a bad time, you know. What I mean, I, I wasn't mad at anybody. Um, and and my sister-in-law was played by you, the, maybe the most dynamic two-show actress of the era, primetime and daytime. I was surrounded constantly by beauty and talent. It was a lot of fun. And and my storyline in particular, um, I was very lucky. Shamar Moore and I came on the show within a month or two of each other. Mm-hmm. And um, early on, I was given this wonderful storyline where it started out as something that was very typical in soap, an affair. And it became something, ironically, because of what you were just saying, even though it was a diversion, it became something that was somewhat politically charged because my mistress got AIDS. And it was only a few years after the height of the AIDS crisis. Actually, my uncle had passed away from AIDS, a gay man, in 1994 while I was on the show. And I had to ask for a few days off from Young and the Restless to go visit him in San Francisco uh, before he passed away. It was very present in the country in that moment. And I had this storyline. And um, it, was a, it was a wonderful opportunity to both be a diversion and, yes, to be a sex symbol and to have these one work mostly with these one, most of my scenes with these wonderful women. What was your it's favorite piece. scene, say? Like, I just want to make a mention that Keisha Monroe... Um, was the character uh, yes. that played two different actresses, actually. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, but what was your yeah, favorite? My favorite scenes. I definitely had some great scenes with Tanya. 
um, where I, once she found out and she threw me out and I went on the lamb with, with our son. Um, but oh. there was a scene in particular that I honestly would say was my favorite scene. And it had all four of us in it and it had the baby. It was me and you and uh, Tanya and Christoph. And we were dressed in tuxedos. We were ready to go to a party and it took place in your character's living room. You're in Christoph's living room. Uh-huh. And it was one of the scenes where like the four of us were together and Christoph's character had caught wind that I was having an affair. And so he was, you know, he was mad at me. And you and Tanya and the four of us, so we had this one scene we're like, we're all like, ah, oh, la-di-da, it's all nice and gravy and beauty and honey and, and nice. And then you guys walk out of the room with the baby. And I turned <laughs> and looked at Krista because I knew he had been eyeballing me the scene. And we had this face-off. Uh-huh. Oh, the famous soap opera soap stare. Yeah, he, 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 he read me the riot act about how I was a bad man and I was cheating on my wife. And I walked up into his face and I was whispering to him. We had this standoff, but because you guys were in the next room, we played wow. the whole thing in a whisper. And it was yeah. one of my favorite scenes ever in the, the years that I was on the soap, almost four years, three and a half years. Kristoff, uh, who was, even though he wasn't that much older than me, he was such a veteran compared to me and Shamar at that time. He had been yeah. around for so long. Uh, he was probably only 30. Right. He had... You know, been a child actor, and he did. He had done stage and um, film, and um, came into daytime. He had just left Generations, and then came over to us. But he did have that commanding, paternal um, nature about him. He was so grounded yes. for a young actor. To, when you, when I look into the eyes, when I was that age, of a guy like Christoph or Doug Davidson, who I also had a lot of great scenes with, who played my boss, um, there was a there was a power that I drew from them. You know what I mean? To be in the scene with them was really, I know you know what I'm talking about as an actor acting for those of you listening, acting is very much like a team sport. It's, it's not a, it's something you do with another person. It's, it's like, it's like rallying in tennis, you know, the way the person hits the ball to you and where they hit it affects where and how you hit it back. And it's a very much of a, uh, a team well, thing that you do with other people. Adam is now an also among his acting uh, acumen. He is also a phenomenal acting teacher. Tell us a little bit about how you made that transition and what it's like for you now. You know, um, it was one of those things, uh, unlike a lot of teachers in Hollywood and in New York, who are essentially, they, they are full-time teachers. I'm still someone who, to be frank, earns most of my living as an actor, writer, and I started teaching on the side when my, when my wife got pregnant. And I thought to myself, at that time, I thought, a lot, I was coaching for free, basically, a lot of my friends. I was a working actor, and I had a lot of friend, acting friends who were from my acting classes from my 20s, who weren't working as much and they would come over to my house and they'd be like, Hey, will you work on this audition with me? And everybody kept telling me, Oh, you're really good at this. And my wife got pregnant and she wasn't working at, she's an actor too. But when she, when she was pregnant, I started worrying that I didn't own anything. Even if you're doing well as an actor, you still feel somewhat at the mercy of like, 
it's somebody else's project and they hire you for it. You're like a hired gun. Right. And, and you get into your 30s and your 40s, you start feeling like, I want to own something that's my own. And it was just something where I said, you know, I'm going to start an acting studio. Let's see how it goes. And it took off. And I have, I have, yeah, I have maintained, uh, I'm very lucky to say I've maintained a, a pretty good reputation as a coach. I've had people teach, many different people teach for me over the years. And I love it. I, what I found is that I really love teaching. So even though I uh, very often when I'm working, I will, I'm really only teaching once a week. And I want to say that you are requested on set of uh, primetime and yes. film. And I think it's very important for our audience to know that you can go from, say, a soap opera and you can find yourself taking that kind of wisdom and experience because doing a soap opera is like no other job. It forces you to use that muscle day in and day out, all the memorization. You have to learn behind the camera on such another scale. And you take all of that experience and you can go anywhere to work quite frankly. And the era that we did it in was the, was the end of the heyday of soap in a way where the amount of episodes and pages that we were doing in these hour long, highly viewed shows and you and me and Christoph and Shamar and Tanya and, yes. um, and then our supporting cast people along yes. with certain other people that we worked with also, um, yes. It was extraordinary. 20 pages a night would show up. Easy, yeah. I would say even 30 some days. But that we were the first premier black family in daytime drama television. A whole nucleus. Uh I'm very proud of that. Me too. I really feel like up until that point, soap was essentially a white world, like most drama on Tonto. And then... During that era, even during that era in the 90s, most of the soaps got one or two black characters, often an interracial relationship. Right. There's a wonderful actor who worked on All My Children. I know that Darnell Williams and and, and, and uh, Angie was played by Debbie Morgan. But the bottom line is that we had a, we had full a whole family. family, a full, exactly a full family cast. Now, listen, we've got to move on with the show. We've got to talk about some of these questions that have come in from Secrets of a Soap Opera Diva fan. So one of the questions is from Cheyenne, and she's asking, is there ever jealousy between actors who play the same role, like the original Nathan, who was Nathan Perdee, uh, versus Adam Lazar White? So what do you think? I mean, we know Randy Brooks played Nathan Hastings, but did you ever feel anything like you had to fill some shoes or you had to do something different, Adam? I didn't. Now, I want to say this. I I came in to take over that role after not only Nathan Perdee, but Randy Brooks. When I took over that role from Randy Brooks, I believe that Randy Brooks was in his 40s and I was 23 years old. Now, I was playing <laughs> young, older than myself. But you have to understand that I just didn't feel like I was competing with Randy Brooks. If anything, I might have been competing with Shamar as a new, young, light-skinned black guy on the show. But it wasn't like that. And, and I don't know how they felt about me. I just hope they felt that I, I carried the torch of that character for them in a good way. Um, I really felt like I was playing it from myself. I had to 
there was it was funny actually so the short answer is no i did not feel jealous of the other nathans and i was and i never heard that they felt jealous of me i just want to say this um adam that i felt universally with our cast we knew the gravity of what it meant that we were in this position to represent an america that had never seen this let alone daytime barely in prime time but also we knew who we were performing for we knew Definitely. the gravity of what it meant for us to be representing black and brown people out there in the world because we let us not forget that the young and the restless and, and is I, licensed to over a hundred countries around the world go ahead at that time denzel washington had been on saint elsewhere eric lasalle was on er and and uh um uh on la law blair underwood had been on la law now blair underwood as far as i know he didn't have a long running show after that he had shows almost every year blair was on a show but there were not a lot specifically of black leading men on television there a lot of black character actors I'm talking about men now because women black women latin women native women have had have always played sexy roles but black men up until that point there was not a lot of it and even in the movies there was wesley snipes and denzel washington will smith was just getting started y'all yeah and 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 a lot of the other actors that were working guys like samuel jackson or yafit koto or you know, who, they were character actors and so i know that christoph and shamar and myself we all knew as as victoria just said we knew that there was an import to what we were doing and how we were representing the black community and that we we had to do it right and we didn't have time frankly for jealousy we were like we were all in this together we were we enjoyed working together we felt so privileged to yes. be in front of all of you on television it felt like an absolute privilege that we were in this position playing romantic leading roles as black people in a time where I don't know if Eric Lasalle ever had a girlfriend on ER. But what what would happen is we'd get cast, but it was like we raised ourselves in the wild. There was never a um, an offshoot of family. So you know, we really were grateful. Adam, we thank you so much for joining Secrets of a Soap Opera Diva, going behind the bubbles, popping the bubbles, so our listeners could hear all about what your experience was, how you are doing and what you're doing now in your life. And we wish you nothing but health and happiness in this unprecedented time in the world. Adam Lazar-White. Thank you, Victoria Rao, leading us all <laughs> in so many ways, cooking on Instagram. Y'all got to see her cook on Instagram. She dances and you may not know that she's a wonderful dancer. I tell you. Thank you, Adam. I thank you so much. But yes, cooking with Auntie Vicky. Yes. What's your Instagram, Adam? Uh, it's it's real Adam LW. Uh, but okay. uh, going towards my teaching, there's always the handle. If anybody wants to take a look at what my classes are doing and the artistic and sometimes socially sociopolitical words or uh, motivations that are coming out of it. It's ALW Acting Truth, and that's on 
Well, Adam, and Twitter. thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I want to ask a trivia question. Who knows who the first Aunt Mamie Johnson's real name was? What is the name of the actress who played the first Aunt Mamie Johnson? Whoever figures out that answer... You might just get a lucky winner shout out from at Victoria Rowell. This is Victoria Rowell on Secrets of a Soap Opera Diva. I just want to say thank you for joining. Bubbles and kisses coast to coast. Until next time, stay safe, stay woke, stay tuned for more lights, camera, calamity and claws and more secrets. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Entertainment Speakers Bureau in association with Days Ferry Productions and Tasty Shop Media with production sound design by Wine Designs Media.